So um, I, I have to, to share with you that, that there was a time in my life when it really felt like things had gotten out of control. And it was kind of a weird set of events. I was getting ready to graduate from seminary and was just a couple of weeks away from graduating from seminary. And my senior pastor, Dr. Gene Getz, who um, some of you may know that name at a church in Dallas that we had the privilege of serving at, he had reached out to me and said that an old seminary buddy of his was a pastor in the Bahamas and he would like to know if I'd be willing to go and to do some speaking and help them get their youth ministry kind of in, heading in a good direction. And, um, was challenging because of the fact that uh, my spring break was just a couple of days away, and that's when it would have needed to happen. And so talked to the pastor, Dr. Alan Lee, and he said, well, we can make it happen. I'll worry about the tickets. You worry about your passport, and, um, and we'll take care of all the details. So didn't really have time to share much of the details. I, Allie knew I was leaving, thankfully. Um, but I am on a plane flying to the Bahamas, and, and that first day that I arrived there, they had set it up for me to speak to a group of teenagers. And uh, so I had my notes all prepared. I had my message. I was excited to share with them, had really prayed, you know, in this temporary time, like, what, what do you have for me to share with these students? And when I went in there and started to speak to these students, they literally started crying, which is not what you're looking for when you're a speaker. And, and what I would find out was that they were crying because this was the last uh, last. Wednesday night that their former youth pastor was going to be there at that church, and he's literally going to get on the boat in a couple hours from then. And so I'm out there, you know, trying to catch their attention. And, and I just about, after about five, 10 minutes, just gave up on the message, literally just stopped. I'm like, hey, let's just pray for Victor, and let's pray for the students that are here. And so had a beautiful time of prayer. But um, afterwards, I'll just share it this way. I was really discouraged because I thought, oh, they invested all this money for me to come, to, to be here, and just was frustrated. And the hosts that I was staying with offered for me to use their long-distance phone. I called Allie. She was, she was great. She was really encouraging to me. And then I asked, is it okay if I call an old professor of mine? And uh, that professor didn't know I was going to the Bahamas um, and just called him up. I actually only had his home phone number. Couldn't believe he picked it up on the first ring. And um, started to talk to him. He was really encouraging to me. And then he said, so where are you at? And I said, I'm in the Bahamas. And I said, Pastor, um, you know, have you been, been here before? And he said, yeah. And then actually he says, oh, you know, I've been there before. And then he goes on to say, have you heard of Calvary Bible Church? Well, yeah, that's where I'm at. And he said, do you know Leslie and Virginia Roberts? And I said, well, I'm actually standing in their living room or their bedroom. And what I'd found out is that, you might not know this, but in the world that we live in, there's about 1.6 billion homes, hotels, apartments in the world. And uh, I could have been at any one of those. But I was standing, calling my old prof, not knowing any of the details from a room that he himself had slept in before. And, and I don't know if this means as much to you as it did to me, but at that moment when he said that to me, I just found myself in awe of God's understanding of his creation, his sovereignty, that he knew that that was going to be our story, that our stories would intersect in such a way that God would have the perfect encourager to me at this time. And, and it made me just stand back and say, God, I'm in awe of your sovereignty. And I have a news for you today, that for some of us today, what we're struggling right now is, is really accepting that God is sovereign. We're going through challenging times. Things aren't going according to our plans. But the word sovereign means that you're in control, ultimate authority, ultimate power. You remember that our God is not just the king, right? 
He's the king of what? He's the king of kings. He's not just the Lord. He's the Lord of lords. And, and so today, what we're going to see in the study of Acts, it's going to be incredibly encouraging to us because there's going to be a story of a man who in his own physical strength thought that he was in charge and God's going to humble him. But for a man who was on his deathbed, we're going to see God once again prove himself sovereign. And I hope that as you go through this, you're going to be reminded of the fact that we can entrust ourselves into the care of a God who knows our needs more than what we do. I can't help but believe that we're a little bit more like this than we want to be. I love this, this cartoon, far side cartoon. Yeah. Uh, you, look at him, you look at it and he's pushing and uh, you guys get it, right? It's pretty good. So the, the reason why I think we're like this sometimes is that God has given us the key. He, he's told us that, that he wants to be the one that opens the door for us, Right? But for you and I, what we're doing right now is we're pushing and we're pushing and we're discouraged because of the fact that this is falling down on our strength. And what we're finding out, some of us, is that our strength isn't sufficient, right? Like we're finding out that we don't have what it takes to break down those doors. But what's beautiful is today in God's word, we're going to see an event that took place in history that reminds us of the fact that he is sovereign. He is in control. This is the antidote to worry that's plaguing the world that we live in. Worry means that I'm saying, I want to, with everything that I have, be in control. And what we see from the example of the early church is that they decided that they're going to place their faith and trust in a God who's in control. I love this statement. God is in control. God's purposes will prevail. And that's the case even when it doesn't feel like it. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, as we continue on the series through the book of Acts, the unstoppable work of God. In verse 1, it says this, About that time, Herod, the king, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. That's a terrible phrase, violent hands. This was, he was being brutal to the church, especially in Jerusalem. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. That phrase means that John was beheaded. John, one of the disciples of Christ, one of the sons of thunder, he was a man who was a gift from God who ultimately graduated to heaven through the hand of Herod. This Herod was an interesting man. There's a, a, a many ancient um, uh, statues of him, and here's one of them so you can see him. But Herod Agrippa I, he was a man who had a Jewish background, that he um, had all kinds of connections in Rome. He was friends with famous leaders like Caligula and Claudius. He was a rascal. He stole, he connived. He, um, the, the, the stories that surround him are very dark. But we know his grandfather, um, known as Herod the Great, and now we meet this man, Herod. And Herod was a man who was choosing to, to bow to the will of the people, and in a way, give what, them what they wanted. And at the end, it ended up costing him so very much. But this, it's important for us as we dive into the word and we see this, this event taking place that, that God is sovereign even when he doesn't, it doesn't really feel like it. God is sovereign even when our circumstances don't really feel like he's in control. What we just said from the text is that one of the leaders of the church, one of the men who spent his most prominent days in the, in the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was beheaded for his faith. 
And that's not the last time that this would happen. There's, there's great persecution that's happening in the church. But what we see is that even though it didn't feel like God was in control, that God was on the move. Look at this in verse 3. And when he saw that it pleased, this is Herod, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And this was also, this was during the days of the unleavened bread. This was right after Passover. And what was about to happen when night fell and the next morning came is that it would have been legal for Herod to do another one of these corporal punishment times. Peter is in prison. He's been arrested. And the expectation is that he'll be put to death in the morning. It's a terrible time. It says this in verse, verse four. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers. That's four groups of four soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. Let, let's be honest, church. Sometimes it feels like God's not in control, doesn't it? Sometimes we can find ourselves discouraged, a little bit overwhelmed. What's happening I'm sure for the early church, the death of James was one of those times. What is going on? But, but that doesn't necessarily mean that God is out of control. They'd experienced violent hands. They'd seen the beheading of James. And then we get this snapshot in verse 5 of what happened with Peter. It says, so Peter was kept in prison. But the way that the people responded is really insightful for you and I today. So things are broken. It's hard. It's difficult. What's going on? It says in the text, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. I love this statement that prayer is an acknowledgement that God is in control. The Greek word for the, that's translated here, earnest, it means that they're stretching to God. I love the image of a baseball player going up over the wall, reaching over to snatch that home run out from under the wall. They, they only do it because they believe that there's something possible there, right? And that's what's happening. They're reaching out, they're stretching out to God and they're saying, we are not in control. We need your help. I don't know what your prayer life looks like, but this is a really good example of how to respond when life feels like it's over, out of control. There's gonna be an angel that comes. I love the way that Thomas Watson, the Puritan preacher says, he says, the angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. I like that description. They're, they're trusting the Lord. You got this. We, we trust you. In verse six, it says this. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out, in other words, to be beheaded on that very night, what, what, what would you expect here? Right? Before we read any further, like, what would you expect? So Herod's going to bring Peter out. You expect him to be anxious, right? You expect him to be paralyzed by fear, weeping, crying. What's the text say? He's asleep. He's gloriously asleep right now. Peter somewhere understood what it means to have God who's in control. The way the text says this, it says, on that very night when Herod was about to bring him out, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. In other words, he had placed his trust in the Lord. I don't know if this is partially because of what Jesus had said to him in John 21, 18, that he would live to an old age. I don't know if this was because Peter just trusted the Lord completely with that private promise that was given to him, or if this was just a time where Peter trusted that the Lord was in control. But what we know is that he fell asleep. There are many people in this room right now that need to find rest that they're discouraged, frustrated, they're trying to stay in control. 
And what, what we see as the example of Peter is that he's actually going, Lord, I trust you. And, and the church is doing that same thing. We trust you, Lord. What, what are you doing? Let's, let's entrust ourselves to you. In other words, worry is just wasted energy, right? Like, what, what good does it do? That's literally what we're taught in God's word. Like, what, what can you add to your life by worry? Nothing. It just wastes our energy. So here, Peter was anxious enough to fall asleep, right? He just, he just rested in the Lord. So he's sleeping between these guards. This, this was the highest level of security. This is great. History tells us that he was probably in a tower that was near the Temple Mount that was surrounded by a garrison of soldiers. The, the text describes iron gates that had to be, be crossed through. Um, we're also told that Peter was surrounded by these 16 guards that were on watch all night long watching him. You know, it's possible that Herod had heard about Peter's other escape from prison, right? Two different times Peter had been in prison and miraculously the second time he had been, been set free. And so Herod was like, I am not going to let this happen on my watch. Historically, if you were a, a high security prisoner, you'd be chained to a guard. Do you see what the text says? He is chained by two, to two guards. So they believe both hands are chained together. Here, Peter is surrounded by these guards. There's no human way for him to escape. But praise the Lord, God is in control. And what happens here, as we see in this next encounter, is something that feels pretty familiar. It says this, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side. He said, wake, wake up, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself, put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Now, some of you went through a similar, similar scenario to get yourself to church today, didn't you? Come on, get up, you know, lights are on, let's go. And what's, what's funny about it is, is Peter's still kind of in this daze, like he says he's kind of in a dream, dream kind of state. He doesn't even believe this is happening. Verse 9, and he went out and he followed him and he did not know what was being done by the angel. He didn't know it was real. He thought that he was seeing a vision. Verse 10, when he had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city and it opened for them of its own accord. Okay, so confession time. Uh, my, you can feel bad for my poor kids because sometimes if I walk into like the mall where they have those electric gates, I like to like act like I use the force to open it up. No, so you can feel bad for my children. But the, the Greek word that's used here is, it sounds very familiar to us. It's automate, the automatic opening of the doors. God's hand's strong enough. This, there's nothing, no lock is gonna contain him that he's, he's able to take care of our needs. And here, this is what happens, is that that same hand that had knit you together in your mother's womb, I want you to think about that, that that same hand, it reminds me of in the, um, in, in, the, in the book of Genesis, when the ark is completed, there's this great moment in that history where it's like, oh shoot, how are we going to close the door, right? Like they, they hadn't figured out how to close that door and you get this image of God closing the door before the ark could be set out. And it's, it's incredible, right? We see it here. The gate is open by the very hands of God. And, and, he, and so Peter gets this front row seat to see this. And, and here he's so encouraged. It's got to be incredible what he's experienced. It says, and they, the angel and Peter, they went out they went along one street and immediately the angel left him. And now Peter kind of gets it. Oh, 
When Peter came to himself, he says, now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, John Mark. We're going to see more about John Mark later in Acts, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda, this, this Rhoda seems precious to me. Her name means rosebud or rose. And here she is, this little girl comes to the door to answer the knock. And Peter, she hears Peter's voice, recognizing Peter's voice in her joy she did not open the gate, but she ran and reported to Peter that Peter was standing at the gate. So, oops, she, she forgot to open the doors for Peter, and he's outside. But, but I want you to catch this. This is so realistic. Is that, what, what's the church doing at this time? Do you guys remember? The church is praying for Peter's release, right? And, and so this, this little girl, she's shocked by the answer to prayer. She's so excited. She runs in. Hey, Peter's outside. And, and see how the church responded after this, this incredible moment. But that it says, they said to her, you are out of your mind. Can't you see it? Rhoda, shh. Can't you see we're praying? <laughs> Get it, right? Can't you see we're praying that God would release Peter? <laughs> But, but I can't help but apply this truth in my own life, that, that we pray, but, but maybe we forget the fact that God is a God that answers our prayers, right? That, that he knows our needs more than what we do, that he is involved and intimately involved in his creation. And here, I, I wonder what was going through their minds where they say, they say to her, you are out of your mind. But she keeps insisting, it was, it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel but Peter continued knocking. I can't help but believe that this had to be some kind of inside joke for them later. You remember that time when Peter was outside and we, well, when they opened, they saw him and they were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand, he encouraged them to be silent. And he described to them how the Lord had brought them, him out of prison. And he said, tell these things to James, to the brothers. And then he departed and he went to another place. Now, I'm guessing for some of you, as you hear this, that you, you're thinking about the fact that, yeah, God did this great thing for Peter. But what about James, the other James, the one who was beheaded? How, how is it that God can be sovereign and yet not always answer prayers in the way that we want him to? That's a real challenge for some of us. And I, I want to remind you, there's this wonderful phrase in scripture that says that the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. And I want you to Im imagine for a second the bride that's anticipating her outdoor wedding. Somebody after the first service said, that was my story. I was a bride anticipating the forecast was for 90% chance of rain, you know? And, and that rain is, is something extremely negative for them. But, but then imagine that that same moment, the farmer who's praying for the rain to be able to grow the crops that he needs to feed his family. And you, you recognize that perspective matters, right? Rain is one of those things that can be a huge blessing. It's not a blessing when it's in our basement, right? Uh, but it's, it's one of those things that we need for life. And I think that that gives us this example in scripture. You know, James, uh, that man who was beheaded, what I think was happening there was that, that, that the church hoped that he'd be free. I'm sure he was praying to be set free, but he entrusted himself into the care of the Lord 
The Lord that had warned all of the disciples that they were going to experience huge persecution for representing Christ in the world. And, and I think he just graduated. I think it was time for James to go. That he got to go on to be in the very presence of God. And he understood that it was time for him to experience that blessing. I like the way that um, Campbell G. Morgan puts it in addressing this very challenge. He says, it may remain to us per a perplexing question why James was slain and Peter delivered. There's no explanation, nevertheless. The revelation, uh, he's saying in scripture, it's not explained to us. The revelation of the facts is reassuring. That God delivered Peter proves his power to have delivered James. That he did not deliver James proves that the death of James was also within the compass of his will. And we know that in the great unveiling, all will be seen to have been right. So, so we pray, your will be done. We entrust ourselves into care of a God who can set the captives free, literally. But for others to live as Christ and to die is gain. That was Job's story. He was put in his place to be reminded in his suffering that God was still in control. And this leads us to a second, I think, very significant point this morning, and that is God is sovereign even over those who do not acknowledge it. That God is sovereign even over those who don't choose to acknowledge that he's in control. In other words, ignoring God does not make him irrelevant to you. Some of you, that's a part of your story. I was with a wonderful friend last evening sharing his testimony, and he had 40 years of his life that was isolated and separated from the love of Christ. But then the last 40 years of his life have been understood as knowing Christ. And he looks back on a story with great celebration of God's provision. But as he looks back on those early years, he recognizes that he had just spent decades of his life not acknowledging the truth, but it never stopped being the truth. And in the case of, of Herod, here he is, a man who wants to be the king of kings, but he's just a king. I want you to see this in the text in verse 18. Now, when they, they came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers. You understand? Peter was chained. He was locked up. He was surrounded by soldiers. And now God miraculously sets him free. There was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. That's an understatement. And after Herod searched for him and they did not find him, he examined the centuries, and he ordered that they should be put to death. You know the rules, you've heard it before, but the guards suffered the intended punishment that was meant for Peter because they allowed him to escape on their watch. Can't help but think in my mind's eye or my creative uh, thought that, that maybe Peter had the chance to share the gospel with one of these men, even one that was put to death at this point. I don't know what the story would be, but, but here what we see is that Herod is furious and then Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea and he spent time there. He had a wonderful palace there. You can still visit the ruins of it today. And um, here he's sulking, he's angry, he's bitter. Uh, this, this escape happened on his watch and this skip down to verse 21. Then there's this, this moment in history. The historian Josephus gives us a little more context here, but what we know, if you look at this, this next building, there's this great, there's a reconstruction of this great, um, this great theater that was in that part of the world built in a beautiful setting um, in Herod's honor and in Caesar's honor. And here, Herod stands up and it says in the text, on, on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes. 
These were silver robes that reflected light. And, and he took his seat upon the throne and he delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. And, and at that moment, Herod stood up and he received it. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I'm the man, aren't I? I'm the king of kings. And what the text says is, it says very bluntly, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give glory to God and he was eaten by worms and he breathed his last. That's gross. In the hands of Luke, as he describes as the physician, the author of Acts, he gives us this picture. Some believe this was some kind of parasite, tapeworm, something, but there was a violent thing that happens. And the man who wanted to be in control was humbled to the point of death. I, I, I want to apply this in our lives, church. I want to make sure that we get this, that, that we are people who've been humbled in the world that's around us. We've been reminded that we're not in control. I don't know anybody who stands back and says, the way it is is the way I wanted it to be, right? And this is worldwide, right? But what we do know is that there's a model that's here that is evidenced by Peter's faith, the church's faith, to say, Lord, we trust you. This is really hard, but we're gonna keep moving forward because of the fact that we trust you. In fact, what we see is that every time that evil attempts to silence the voice of God, it is only amplified. I, I, I've been surrounded by people recently that have talked about what's happening to the church and how it seems like it's, it's being destroyed or broken down. And I just see it from a different perspective right now. What I believe about God's church is that God is at work in his church, that he's doing mighty things. He's drawing people to himself today. And, and the gates of hell will not prevail against God's church, not just hope church, but the church, God's bride, he's at work and he's doing mighty things amongst his church. Uh, today, there'll be hundreds of people that are joining us online today, some who've never stepped into a church before. And, and part of what's happening is that God's reminding people, when we say that phrase, hope is found here, like he's reminding people of the fact that we desperately need hope and that hope is in a God who knows our needs more than what we do. What happened? Verse 24, it says, but the word of God increased and it multiplied. So in the midst of this time of persecution, what happens is the gospel reigns. God's message comes to the surface and individuals experience the blessed hand of the Lord. On a side note, but something that's helpful is that I think in the church setting, what God's doing is he's encouraging us to experience what they experienced in the book of Acts. Next man up kind of mentality. What happens now is that Peter, who was the leader, the most prominent Christian leader in Jerusalem at that time, he's going to be on another assignment. He's going to probably be in Rome. He may go to Corinth. We don't know exactly where Peter goes at this point. But what happens is another James, uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, is going to come to the surface. The author of the biblical book of James is going to come to the surface and be the leader of the church in, um, in that community. And it's, it's awesome because what happens is it's next man up. Some of you may have heard this story. Maybe I'm still in mourning over the Ohio State college football season being on hold here. But uh, um, in Tennessee, um, back in 2011, you may have heard this story that um, the coach came to the painful realization that both of his kickers 
were injured in the pre-warm-up time period. And they only had two scholarship kickers that were there that day. And so both of his guys went down. And so what they said was that at 6, 10 p.m., kickoff was scheduled for 7 p.m., the coach called up this young man, their third-string kicker, um, by the name of Derek Brodus, and he was sitting in his, his fraternity uh, on the couch getting ready to watch the game, right? So he gets the call, um, and the coach says, there's going to be a police escort on the way to your house, and they'll be here shortly. And he ends up getting there in time to kick off, makes all of the extra points that he kicked, and a field goal that day. I love that, that, that story. It's so real. And what's happening in the church right now is that there's a little bit of this where we're going, hey, we don't know where the Lord's going to take us tomorrow. But what we're going to say is, Lord, here I am. Send me. Let's go. What do you have for us next? And we're seeing that happen. And I want to encourage you that that's what God's asking of us to do, to continue to be people who are on mission, to continue to be people that are able to not be stuck you know, some would have thought that the things that would have held back the church at this point in history would have been the corruption, the um, contention with one another, enemies, the Roman officials, that they would have been able to get in the way. But what we see in the text is that the church was unstoppable. And part of that was because they were joining a God that was on the move. Today, as we apply this truth, I really appreciate the way Randy Alcorn puts this. This is a, a really helpful uh, quote uh, this morning. He says this. He says, worry is momentary atheism crying out for correction by trust in a good and sovereign God. Isn't that interesting? You understand that, that worry can be a form of temporary atheism. I've forgotten that there's even a God that's in control, that I, I've neglected the fact that he knows my needs more than what I do. And, and I want to challenge you with these questions to help us to say, are we doing this? Are we, are we sticking our head in the proverbial sand to avoid what's going on around us? Are we worrying ourselves in ways that's just wasted energy? Are we finding ourselves putting trust in a good, sovereign God? I know where I'm making that choice. I know how it helps me to face tomorrow is that I'm placing my faith and trust in a good and sovereign God. The three questions that I want to challenge you with this, evening, or this morning is, is there a pain or a problem in your life that you feel is just too big for him? That, that there's, there's this pressure, a broken relationship, something that feels overwhelming for you. Is there one of those? Maybe today is the day for you to say, I'm going to trust myself to your care. The second question comes out of the model of those who were left behind as Peter went into prison. What does your prayer life say about your trust in God? They, instead of giving up, they chose to stay up and to pray. And, and I think our prayer life has some, some helpful information for us to understand what we're putting our trust in in the midst of chaos. And the third thing is, how can remembering the simple statement, man, some of us need to hear this, that there is a God and I am not him. How can that impact your life? You remember where I started uh, this, this morning talking about that time in history where God reminded me gently, buddy, I got you. Like, like, I'm in control. I love you. I care about you. And I want to pray that for you as we close this time out. I'll invite the worship team to come forward and close us out with a great song here. But I just want to pray for you today that, that your ability to understand that in the midst of the chaos that God has not forgotten you, 
that worry is something that communicates to a world around us that we don't understand who's in control. And for us, each one of us to be willing to say, Lord, I'm going to trust today into your care because I believe that you're sovereign. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this morning. I want to thank you for uh, Nick and Leah's testimony that, that serves as a, a reminder to me like you've done in so many different ways in my life that you're good, that you're continuing to be at work, that you will take our creative responses to your goodness and, and bring fruit that comes out of that. And I just want to thank you for that. I want to as I look around this room and thank you for the church family that I look at, at individuals that are here and I celebrate the fact that there's individuals here that are seeking you, that have really difficult questions for you. Why do you take a James and allow him to die? Why do you allow a Peter to thrive? And they're asking those questions, but Lord, I pray and thank you for the fact that you're our good and sovereign God, that you know our needs more than what we do, that we can even find rest in the midst of our circumstances because of the fact that you're in control. And so we accept that in this room, there's some people who feel like they're chained right now, that they feel like they're in a hopeless situation, that there's too much pain in their past. There's too many things for them to, to be able to work through. I just pray, Lord, that you would grant them peace. I pray, pray that you would grant them peace that surpasses their circumstances. And that, that image of your mighty hand opening the doors for Peter Lord, I pray that they would remember that that's the same hand that knit them together in their mother's womb. That's the same God that knows their needs more than what they do. The same God that is the God that sets the captives free. Lord, we, we sang it earlier in the service and we're gonna sing it again uh, in our prayers right now. And that is, God, you've done it before. We ask that you would do it again. In Jesus' precious name and all God's people said, amen.